Good afternoon. I want to, um, we've been doing a series on spiritual disciplines, and uh, uh, today is the second last of that, and we want to look at generosity, generosity, or the spiritual discipline of giving. How we will intentionally control our behavior to be generous. Generosity must be intentional because, you know, it, it goes against our grain. We, we, we can be generous towards ourselves, and we might be generous towards people who we think needs, need generosity, uh, but generosity as a biblical mandate is what we want to look at today, all right? And um, I've titled today's Sermon as the Lord Needs Your Donkey. And that comes from Mark chapter 11. Uh, the key verse is verse 4, but uh, I, I want to read from verse 1 to verse 10. So if you will rise with me as, I, as we look at God's word, and um, I'm going to read from Mark chapter 11, verses 1 to 10. This is God's word. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as, they, as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. And if, if anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it. And we'll send it back here immediately. That's, that is the Lord. The Lord will send it back here immediately. And, and they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside on the street, and they untied it. And, and some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? And they told them that Jesus, what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw his cloaks on it, threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest! And he entered Jerusalem, sorry, that's verse 11, let me just read that to you. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple, and when he looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Father God, we pray that you would speak to us. This is your word, Lord, and unless you reveal the deep truths to us, we will not be able to find it on our own. So may it be your spirit that speaks to us. Hide me in the shadow of the, of the cross, and, and Lord, that what your people will hear would be words that your spirit would want them to hear. We thank you. We love you, Lord, and for answering our prayers in Jesus Christ, the Lord's name. Amen. Please be seated. You see, there is always a hesitancy in speaking about uh, gratitude, you know, generosity, and about giving, because it's got a bad rap, right? I mean, you see the preachers on TV and uh, how they manipulate their listeners and their members. And so we tend to stay away from 
speaking on generosity. Even here, we haven't spoken much on generosity, but I think uh, the premise that I want to lay the sermon on is this, that we cannot be true Christ followers without being intentionally generous like the one we claim to follow. We say that we are Christ followers. How can we not be like him then, the one who was generous? We need to be generous. So before we get into the passage, I just want to walk you through like a generosity 101 so we can get an idea as to what I'm talking about and then match it up with uh, the passage here. So first of all, I want us to know generosity is a lifestyle. It's an orientation. It's like the Christian DNA. You know, that's what generosity is. It's not just an act. It's who you are. And generosity, second, I want us to understand, generosity is not just finance. It includes finance. It's it's important. I mean, that's the big thing that we will see. But it includes your time. It includes your energy. It includes yourself. You see, we tend, when we don't want to be generous, what we tend to do is we withhold this as a means of punishment or to negotiate, you know, I won't talk to you, I won't, you know, I won't, uh, you know, in, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, I won't uh, engage with you, uh, because then I'm holding back, right, generosity. Um, generosity is love, as opposed to lust. Generosity turned inward is lust. When I turn in generosity to myself, I'm indulging myself. But generosity is something that's turned outside. You're called to be generous to those who are outside of you. And generosity can be measured in GQ. Now, don't get ideas. It's not GQ. It's the, it's the generosity quotient. What that means is your charitableness over cheerfulness. We will look at that too. And what does that mean? You see, how do I, how can I be, how can I be generous and yet cheerful? Both of them have to apply in the equation, all right? So, so having said that, our objective is, having listened to, listened to this passage, that we would make a commitment before God to be intentionally generous. That we would, we would say, if this is what God's word is saying, I'm going to be committed to it. Okay? So this passage can be looked at in three parts. First is the reason for giving. Second is the result of giving. And the third is our response by giving. The reason, the result, and the response. And what we want to do as we look through this, we will stop, we will observe, we will see what encouragement we can take from it, and then learn a lesson. And that is how we want to go through this. So the first one we want to look at is the reason, the reason for giving. Now, if you look at your Bible right on top, it says the triumphal entry, the triumphal entry. So what's happening here is the king is coming into town. That's what's happening. It's a triumphal entry of a king marching into town. You see, remember the time when David and, and uh, Saul, when Saul and David, David uh, 
uh, had slain his 10,000 and Saul his 1,000 and all the women came out. And that's the idea. You see, the, the king has had a victory and he's triumphant and he comes in to town. That's the, that's the scenario. And what Jesus is doing is he's making public the fact that he is the Messiah and he's the king. And um, it's a fulfillment of Zechariah, Zechariah 9.9, right? Zechariah 9.9, which was written about 500 years ago. And this is what it says. Rejoice greatly, your daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt and on a foal of a donkey. So that's the imagery, but I want to suggest to you there are so many other things that make this very unique. First of all, I want you to notice that this triumphal entry precedes the actual victory. This king is going into town to lay his life for his people, and he will save them, but that's what his name is. But He's, this, is a, this is a victory that he's going to win in time. But the one who's entering is not limited by time. He is the triumphant king entering into the city. All right? Second, I want you to notice that this triumphal uh, entry leads to triumphal work. Because of what Jesus does later in that week, cross, which is the a symbol of cruelty and of death, that will become the symbol of the greatest generosity that the world has ever known. Cross is now to us. When you look at the cross, it's a symbol of generosity or God who gave. And so what's happening at this point is Jesus is about a Sabbath's journey from Jerusalem. That's about 900 meters, okay, approximately. And what um, Mark does here is he gives us three coordinates. He's, in verse 1, it says Bethphage, Bethany, and Mount of Olives. All three correspond or represent the picture of Israel. See, Bethphage actually means the house of unripe figs. Now, we don't know exactly the actual location of Bethphage, but we believe that Bethphage is like the outer skirts of Jerusalem. It's the Sabbath journey into Jerusalem, and the Talmud would have us believe that that was the, uh, the extreme um, distance you can go before bread for the temple could be baked. And I'm thinking, wow, that, what a picture, because the living bread, where else will he start on his triumphal entry into Jerusalem? So that's Bethphage. But then there's also Bethany. The name of Bethany, the meaning of Bethany is house of figs. Again, figs is representative of Israel. That's where Martha, Mary, and Lazarus lived. That is where Jesus, when he saw the fig tree, remember it was all blooming, but there was, there was no fruit, and he curses the fig tree. This is that Bethany. And um, then you have the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives, again, olive is a picture of Israel. And that's the place where he begins his triumphal entry. 
if that is the place where he's going to return, that's the place where he ascended. You know, that's, that's a beautiful uh, 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 picture that this is where this, this triumphal entry is going to begin. And, and it, we, we see there that in verse 3, and the Lord has a need for a donkey and a colt. So to, to do his triumphal entry, he needs a donkey and a colt. Now, I'm, I, I'm thinking like I'm the resident consultant, all right? So, Lord, this is a good time to do a miracle. You know, poof, get the donkey. Everybody's going to see, well, this is great. This is the Lord. Or you could be like the Pied Piper of Hamlin, right? You just play a tune or just command and all the donkeys of Israel would just come running to, to say, you know, we'll collect near Bethphage. I'm thinking of the donkey in Shrek where, do you remember that? Where the donkey jumps, me, 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 right? I wouldn't be surprised if, if donkeys would do that, saying that, give me that privilege. But yet what he does here is he sends two of his disciples to Bethphage to get a donkey and a colt that belong to someone who is not even named. That's important because all four gospel uh, writers seems to tell that part. So I think it's important that we stop and observe and we learn what is happening. Observation one, I want you to understand this, that Jesus is not directly asking for the cult. He sends his disciples. He sends his representatives. I want us to know that opportunities to be generous towards God comes often through people. Just a few chapters ago in Mark 9, the Lord has taught about giving of the cold water to the disciples. This is what he says in Mark 9, 42. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. And, and the same passage in Matthew, it says there that when, you, when they serve his people, they serve him. That's a good observation for us to know. Like, we want to serve God. We want to be used by God. The opportunities come through his people. So encouragement number one. The Holy Spirit includes in this important narrative of the triumphal entry by speaking about the generosity of an unknown man in an unknown place. Remember we said Bethphage, we don't know the exact location. But the Holy Spirit thinks it's important to pause and to say and talk about this generosity. So lesson one, or application one, as I think about it, our king is coming again. And, and today we have an opportunity to be included in this great continuing work, the work of building his church. Now I wonder if God would ask of us about the donkey that we're holding on to. I also want to give you a little cultural context to what is happening here, because sometimes when you read this passage, you feel like, wow, that guy just gave his donkey and his colt away. There was nothing, like, that was too easy, right? So there is a cultural context to it. It's not as simple. I want, 
us to know because this is what would be called the royal impressment, or it's like a draft. The, the system was started by Cyrus the Great, and later the Romans would, uh, would um, bring it in as their means of communication and transport. Uh, what it was is either the ruler or his representative or a religious leader could come and ask for a man or for a beast to be used for a specific purpose. Remember in Matthew 5, the Lord Jesus Christ speaks about it. It says, when a soldier would force you to go a mile to take his bag, go with him too. You see, what is happening there is because the Jews were under the Roman Empire rule, uh, a Roman soldier could draft just for that brief time to say, hey, carry my stuff, come with me, and the maximum they could go was one mile, and they couldn't refuse that. And Jesus was saying, don't just stop at one mile, go that extra mile. That's where the phrase going extra mile comes from, right? And you see how the Lord is saying that don't just be so duty-bound, but be generous. And this is called the right of Angaria. That's the phrase, Angaria, right of Angaria. Now, what happens? Let me just give you a quick note on what happens here. All they had to say was the words would be simply stated, I, the king, require it, or the king requires it, or the rabbi needs it. Those are the things they would say. And they would send two witnesses, two people who would come along, and he would say this, and the Lord say, sends two people, two disciples, all right? And the bystanders there, bystanders, bystanders there, sorry, <laughs> Uh, Luke calls them owner. So it could be that the bystanders could be an eyewitness to the owner saying that, yes, there was a request. We let that uh, donkey and the colt go. Or in that time, there was a spool of these beasts which were co-owned, as it were, by, by a group of people. So it could be that the, they were the owners, whatever it is, but a question was asked and they let go. And so that, that's what's happening. That's the rule of Angaria. But I want to indicate to you there's something different happening here again. There's something unique to what, is, what the Lord uh, does because he doesn't say it's the rabbi who's speaking. He doesn't say it's the ruler or the king because he's coming in as the king. He doesn't say that. He says there in verse 3, the Lord Curios has need of it. And by asking that, he's saying, I'm the true owner. I'm the one who owns that donkey. I'm the real owner of that. I want you to let go. The true owner is asking for the donkey. The other thing that you will notice is that this colt no one has ever sat before. And that's important, too, because a king would only sit on a donkey, or, you know, in some cases they, were, they would use donkeys, where no one has sat before, because it will become, if a commoner were to sit on that, it would become unclean for the king. And if a commoner is invited to sit on the donkey's horse, on, on, the, on the donkey or the king's horse or whatever it is, like Mordecai, remember, he, when he had to be honored, the what was given us, he was made to sit on the king's horse and wearing the king's robes, and that's a, a matter of honor. So here we see he is the king who gets to sit on a donkey what no one else is ridden before. 
But what's more radical is this, that Jesus is asking it as a borrower. He said, I'll return it back to you immediately. And by doing that, he actually breaks, as it were, the rule of Angaria, where there's no responsibility of return. It's the owner who has to make sure it's returned. But by Jesus saying that he is going to return, he places himself under the greatest liability of that of a borrower. And this is a king who does return, doesn't he? What he borrows, he he keeps his word. Let's stop, observe, and be encouraged. One, observation number two. Observation number two is the Lord is the true owner. He has the right to demand, but he borrows. Here's a fun fact. I don't know if it's a fun fact or not. If the Lord doesn't lend you the breath, you would be dead this nanosecond, right? Everything that we have, even the breath that we take for granted, is because God gave it. And he, he borrows. And, you know, I, I think about Hannah, you know, who, who prayed for Samuel. It means the, the Lord gave. And then she says, I'm going to lend him to God. How crazy is that as you read it? And that's what 1 Samuel 128 says, I have lent to the Lord. The Lord who owns everything, who, to whom uh, you know, he can say, he can demand, he is the one who borrows. Encouragement too, therefore, we have an opportunity to lend to the true owner from what he has given us. Our generosity, therefore, is giving back to God what he gave us. We have an opportunity. So lesson number two, and I want to give you two lessons, two for the price of one. The first one, the reason we, are always, we can be generous towards God is because it belongs to him anyways. Second, we give because he is infinitely worth more than anything that we have received from him. If we understand that he is worthy of everything, uh, of, uh, worthy more than anything that we have, then gratitude and generosity is a natural uh, attitude of behavior. I've um, I read this article or this story a little uh, some time ago, and I came across this recently again. It's about a child who wanted French, fi- French fries. And so the father takes the child to McDonald's and supersizes the fries. And so they come and they sit at the table and the child has got his, you know, his hands on that pack of French fries and is really enjoying it, relishing it. And the father sits down and the father reaches out to take a French fry and the child says, no, it's mine. And at that point, the father says, I thought of three things. One, I recognized I'm the source of all his French fries. It was because of me that he got his French fries. 
Second, I recognize that I'm bigger than him. I'm powerful than him. I can enforce and say, no, you're not going to have French fries now. You're going to have it after dinner. I can have conditions laid out. I can even take the French fries back. And the third, he says, when I reached out, it was not because I was like, I can't get fries for myself. I can. But I was entering into this intimate relationship of sharing the joy that my child was having. And yet, God takes us to McDonald's on a daily basis. And we ask ourselves, what is our response? Maybe McDonald's is not somewhere you want to go, but that's a different thing. Call it Chick-fil-A or whatever you want to call it. But you get the point? Our response to generosity. Second, I want us to look at the result of giving. The result of giving. You see, the king is welcomed. Notice the reception. They spread the cloaks on the colt, on the road, and it shows that they have accepted, the people have accepted the Lord's authority over them. We see the similar picture when Jehu was was recognized as king. They take their cloak out and lay it out, and he stands on that. It is to say, I submit to this person. That is what's happening. But I also wanted to notice their cry. What is it that they cry? They say in verse 9 and 10, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Now this reference we saw earlier this, in the first session in Psalm 118 verses 25 to 26. It's about Hosanna, save us, O king. And I'm thinking, well, what, what a different cry this is because when, when we cry out to our queen and to our king, we say, God, save our king. God, save our queen. And here the cry is not, O God, save our king, but king, save us. This is the true king. This is the king who can save. Like we said, the name Jesus means that he will save us from, he saved the, save his people from their sins. The king. That's the cry. And listen to this. All this made possible because someone was willing to lend to the Lord. And I sometimes think about the conversations that they may have had over dinner that day. They would have said, you know, it's all about bringing this, this, this privilege that I had so that I can bring glory to God. Now, what does not to minimize this thing of giving, okay? I want us to understand that. First of all, I want you, I want you, to, want you to know that when we talk about a donkey, the beast of burden, it is an asset to their economy. I mean, it was important. Donkey do, donkeys were involved in the economy. They, they, there was a big thing. And second, the unbroken, untrained colt is bad business to be given away. They should, have been had, they should have had some discussion. Hey, not, not that cold because, you know, it's untested, untrained. Uh, it's not suitable. But that doesn't happen. The Lord has need of it. And they're willing to let go. Let's stop again and make some observations and encourage ourselves. First, uh, observation number three. 
the king will fulfill his work. Work is going to get done. Jesus will fulfill the work, but we have the privilege to partner in the work. And I pray, therefore, that our hearts would be opened to partner, to be involved. Encouragement number three, generosity of a few was turned into the celebration for many because some gave, maybe one, I don't know if it's just that one person or was the bystander who were the owners, but let's just say the generosity of a few led to the celebration of many that day. It became a source of blessing. So lesson number three. The king was glorified among the people that day. The need of the hour is similar. This triumphant king is rejected and must be proclaimed to the world. He must be, it must be that out of the generosity of our heart and of our generosity of our giving, may, may the king come, as it were, into the hearts of many who don't know him. May it be because of our generosity. So our response is that we give generously, right? Because the king demands a response. There's a response expected as we see there. Something had to be done. We either get to keep a donkey or we get to give the donkey. James 1.22 is very clear. The implication is absolutely clear. James 1.22 says, if you're just a hearer of God's word and not a doer, you have deceived yourself. If you say, I understand that, that's all right, but I have an excuse, I have a reason why I'm not given, then you're just deceiving yourself. Or if you say, I hear that, but it's not for me, it's the person sitting next to me, I'm deceiving myself. If I'm not part of the work that needs to be done. If we don't do what we hear him to do because we risk becoming an eternal loser in this grand work that we have to do. So it might be good for us to evaluate our guests as we look at, as we come to the end of the year and as we look at the new year coming and commit to ourselves. Uh, listen to this quote based on stats or statistics. It says, what we may have given to God through the whole year may be less than what we spend on a week on ourselves. Wow, that's scary. So I, I think, you know, this passage, I think asking us what our response is going to be the monkey's on our shoulder. But let's just stop, make some observation, take some encouragement, and learn. Observation four. Presently, this king is about the Sabbath's journey, as it were, from his second coming. As we get into the next year is that one year less to his second coming, isn't it? So I want us to look out for generosity, opportunities for generosity. Opportunities for generosity for eternity. How do I impact? 
in the days that he's given me. Now, encouragement number four is this. God continues to do his great work through human agency. God, for, for in his wisdom, involves you to partner with him in this work. And it's not too late to jump in and to be involved. That's a good encouragement. So the lesson is, let us be intentional in giving up whatever may be our donkeys so that God will be glorified and us people will have a cause to celebrate. What's the donkey that we find difficult to give up or to be generous, to give, to lend to the owner himself? So how do we make this real for us? What are the applications? That when the rubber hits the road, hopefully we're not found having a flat. So first, let's covenant to give more. As we, there's, there's a command to generosity. Let me read to you from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 18 and 19. That, it's, that it reads, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. This is how it goes on. It says, in this way, you will lay up treasures for yourself. I want you to, you know, uh, mark that for yourself if we want, as a firm foundation for the coming age, so into eternity, the effect of that, of what, of being good, of being good and rich in good deeds, being generous and willing to share, so that listen to this that it may take that uh, that they may take hold of the life that is truly life, not just into the future, but also to live the life that God's called us to be. We would be generous. You know, the donkey that we find difficult giving up is the finance, anyways, right? And um, I just want to bring it to us, I guess, and I guess uh, it, it just fell right because uh, it wasn't, it wasn't uh, planned to be timed, uh, uh, you know, uh, to the budgets that we are putting in. And, and, uh, but we recognize that this year we have been in negative. And as we budget for next year, we see that again we are in negative. My prayer is that that because, you know, budgets and all of those are for legal requirements and all of that, we understand, but that we as a community will never be in a want, that we will never stop doing uh, the work that God has called us to do because there's been a want. That we're not giving because there's a need, but because the church meets needs of, of this building up of the church and reaching out to the community. So let's covenant to say, if I'm going to be closer to his return, then it's an opportunity for me to be involved. I don't know, you, you, you would give $100 a month, make that 200 Make a covenant. Increase. Do it. 
based on what God's word is saying to us. And I, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying this as a, as so that you can be blessed in return. This is not, that is not what this is all about. But this is meeting, this is uh, heeding God's command. And that if a God is a generous God, we would be likewise. That we would commit, second, that we would commit to give not what is convenient, but what is sacrificial. That we will give generously and cheerfully. Listen to this. Second Corinthians 9, 7 says this. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or with compulsion. Don't be a tither. Listen to me. Don't be a tither. And what that means is this, right? If you say, okay, I'm going to be a tither. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to write uh, one, 123.33 cents. I'm going to give it to God because then what, what is happening is you have just done a duty. And God says, no, that is not what I'm asking you to do. I want you to be cheerful in your giving. So you decide in your heart what you want to do. Because we're not talking about the Old Testament tithing. We're talking about cheerful giving. Because when you give and cheerfully give, like the French fry, you're saying, God, whatever I have is yours, but it, it gives me great joy in sharing in this intimacy that you've called me to. I want to uh, close with this illustration, and I hope it drives home the idea I want you to imagine that you're in a room, you, you, know, you are working on something very important and you're a three-year-old child or you might have memories when your ch- children were three years old or your grandkid, whatever. Just imagine the three-year-old kid in one corner uh, playing with her toys. I think we're in NLBC. All, all our children seem to be girls, so it's her toys. But, um, and as she plays, she comes with this plastic cone, which is supposed to be the ice cream, and she comes up to you and, and offers it to you, this imaginary ice cream. And you're busy, but you see this is a precious moment. You set, that, set your work aside, and you imagine, you act that you're, you know, you're enjoying that ice cream, and you've had this bond, and she goes back, and then again she comes back again, and this happens again and again, and, and you enjoy that moment. You don't want to lose this moment. But it's, it's, it, it's just a play act, and you, you know, she's enjoying this, the way you're reacting, and that, that evening you take her to Baskin-Robbins. Now get that to be a picture of what we do with God. God doesn't need our ice creams or our fries or whatever it is, but he allows for us to get into this intimacy of this relationship. You see, because if we have made our giving into a percentage and not about our personhood, if we had made it about a calculation and not about celebration, then we got it wrong. Enjoying this intimate moment of what God calls us to. Because oftentimes, our idols are found in what we refuse to give up. And therefore, that command that says, you know, you, you would lay up your treasures in heaven. 
this is the final straw. We either get, on, get to hold on to our donkeys on earth, or we store our treasures in heaven. The choice is ours. We can't do both. May God be glorified. Father, we want to thank you for all that you've been to us, Lord. Thank you for giving us your son, the greatest gift that we have received. You are a giver. For God so loved the world that he gave. And these are, these are things that we know. But, Lord, Father, we pray that you would challenge us. You would, uh, um, you, you would show us, Lord, the, the foolishness of us holding on to things that, uh, that we, we think would uh, improve our lifestyle and, and just, just making it about ourselves. Lord, let, it, let us not lust after things, but let us love people and use our things for your glory and for the celebration of your people. We thank you for all that you've been to us, for loving us so much, for faithfully working into our lives the truth of God's word. Help us, Lord, to be doers of your word, not just hearers. In Jesus Christ, the Lord's name, and all God's people said, amen.